Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today, and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we'd invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. So, uh, we're jumping into week two of Micah. We have got Johnny with us, Lenny, Ben, and Dave is once again with us. So, uh, welcome back, Dave. Yeah, welcome back. Glad to have you uh, back here with us. Mm -hmm. And so, we're going to jump into Micah. We already discussed some last week, but man, we we took some rabbit trails last week. So, uh, so let's just jump right in. Anything stand out to anybody uh, through reading Micah this past week? Yeah, for those of us who are here or out there that doubt the word of God here. I like to look at the first paragraph, the first words. My book says, chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Mm. Micah. Right there from the opening bell, the first words emphasize that this message came from God. Mm. That's important to me. I I went back and I, I read it over and over like we do. And then I I said, let me go back, and I'm going to read it real slow, one sentence at a time. And I said, ooh, that's interesting. The Lord gave this message to Micah. And I didn't look up the Hebrew in this one. I don't know if anybody has that or if you have a different. But the, the importance of this is, again, emphasizing that Micah received this message, this vision, this prophecy from God. It came from God. That's how I'll open this up. Let's go to verse 2, and here it is. And and you'll see this throughout this book, and I don't know if you picked this up, but here it is. Verse 2, the first word, attention. What Mm. what do you folks have in yours? Attention. Attention. Hear all you people. Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Here, he, he calls you attention. This is where he's grieving over Samaria and Jerusalem. You go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now he's going to judge, the judgment is coming out against Israel's leaders. Again, he says, listen, you leaders of Israel. And, and, and the same thing, and it happens in, in chapter 6, verse 1, one more time. Listen to what the Lord is saying. And and so I pick those up and I go, okay, Mike is calling us or God is calling us to listen. And then I ask myself, have I done that? Am I doing that? Mm. Did they do that back then? Apparently not. And are we doing that as Christians? Are we listening? Are we hearkening to what God is telling us? What Mm. he's saying to us? Mm. Micah 2, the end of that, starting in verse 12, says, someday, O Israel, and this is where you know, the, the prophecies a lot of these prophets give, uh, I don't even know if they realized how multi-layered they were because some of it was like imminent prophecy and some of it was like messianic prophecy and distant prophecy. Yeah. And, and here we see some messianic prophecy. To someday, O Israel, I'll gather you. I'll gather the remnant who are left. I'll bring you together again like sheep in a pen like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your And then here, verse 13, your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out of the gates of the enemy gates, out of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself mm. will guide you. Yeah. And just kind of this, this prophetic word of the coming of the Messiah who would be the Lord himself guiding them and leading them. But again, 
all these things were pretty much misconstrued in the sense of thinking it was just to build up the country and instead it was to actually set us free from sin. I don't know that they fully grasped that at the time. Yeah, yeah. That, those, those two verses I had um, just put a little arrow next to because I like them. After he's talking about the jud- judgment against the leaders, the uh, wealthy oppressors, everybody, and then you get this hope for restoration in 12 and 13, which you just read, Judah, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. In, in their beautiful lines, beautiful words, and make you feel good. You know, even as you read them, I felt good again. It's, I, I'm, I'm feeling there's a, a promise there, a promise mm. about success and a wonderful return, and maybe the Messiah. Mm. Again, you know, a foretelling here. So, uh, again, if, if people were listening to this back then as Micah spoke, what part were they listening to? And again, here we go, hearken or listen. What were they listening to? Were they listening to, you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, he's talking about this, but we don't believe it. We're just going to believe the part that, yeah, we're good and, you know, we're, you know, God is going to take care of us, which I think some of them did and, and didn't pay attention to the fact that, yeah, you're going to get destroyed. Samaria and, potential, and then Jerusalem, although Jerusalem didn't get destroyed by the Assyrians, it did 100 years later by the Babylonians, but the Assyrians marched right up to the door of Jerusalem and, and most of the things that Micah said here prophesied along with some of his contemporaries came true. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last time or maybe someone else did, but I always like to talk about the names of the prophets because yeah. um, I've been learning the Bible and the prophets' names are like never an accident. No. The names are always either relevant to the gospel itself, the message that Jesus yeah. came or God came to set us free from sin, or then um, their name is relevant to the story. And Micah's name happens to mean who is like God, mm. which we call God holy, right? He alone is holy, mm-hmm. meaning nothing else is holy. Yeah. Nothing else is holy but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And that's, that's good news for us, right? Because if God is holy and we're his children, then we're protected by the most powerful good thing that there is that exists anywhere, in any time, any space, anything, right? So I just thought that was interesting. So it's actually a shortened version of the name, which is like Micah Yahu, which means who is like Yahweh, right? In the original language, right? Which it's also a shortened version of the name Michael, which L, E-L is another word for the name of God, right? And it's Micah L, right? Like Michael, you know? And that's where that name comes from. So they're similar names. They both mean Mm -hmm. that, you know, who is like God, so to speak. The other thing I wanted to bring up is me personally, whenever I read scripture, there's these little things in my mind that I always want to pay attention to which is things like the words of Jesus, right? Because no one comes to the Father except through me, mm-hmm. right? He is my Savior. He's the person that, you know, people say it's not a religion. Like Christianity is not a religion. Right. It's about having a relationship to Jesus. Yeah. That's what makes us different than religions, right? So specifically, Jesus quotes Micah when he warns that families will be divided by the gospel. And that goes to Matthew uh, 10, 36, and I'm actually going to start in 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me, confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. That's Luke 12, 8, found in Matthew 10, 32. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And that's 33. Now on to 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Right? And I always analyze the words of Scripture very carefully. Jesus says, right? I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Well, what does a sword do? It divides things. It cleaves things. It separates things. It slices through things, right? That's what a sword does. But in scripture, what is a sword? 
Right, what does it say in Ephesians? Put on the full armor of God, yeah? Mm -hmm. The word of God. Yeah, it says the shield of faith and the, the sword of the spirit that is the word of God. And I always bring this back to when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Jesus quotes scripture as his weapon to deal with the devil. Right. So our weapon is prayer. Our weapon is scripture. You know what I mean? So he says, don't think, so he's bringing scripture, new scriptures. That's literally what Jesus is doing here in the New Testament, right? For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Micah 7, 6. You know, we call Micah, what, a minor prophet? How minor can he be if Jesus himself is, if God himself is quoting the words of Micah? Yeah. Which, as we're saying, right, the word of the Lord, God spoke to Micah. Yeah. And so it goes full circle. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the thing of it is, too, like you say, minor prophet. I mean, it's minor in length. Yeah. Only yeah. not not in, in content. I mean, yeah. there, there's a lot of very uh, poignant and, and well-known verses in Micah 1 being 5-2, where he, again, prophesies specifically, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you are a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past. Or And I'm like, well, what, what does that mean, origins in the distant past? We could, say, we could take that back to say, like, oh, because he's a descendant of David or whatever else. But we know that actually predates any of that, predates Abraham, predates all of this. I mean, distant, distant past will come to you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned by their enemies until a woman in labor gives birth. And at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile. And he'll stand to lead the flock in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. Then people will live undisturbed, for he'll be highly honored around the world, which we see now. And he will be the source of peace. And, you know, it just goes on this this, this prophetic word that, that Micah had. And, and whenever I read these prophecies like that, I don't know, I mean, I can't really put myself in their shoes. But I, I just imagine them like, I don't know, out somewhere, maybe overlooking a valley or something as God's speaking this to them and, and they're they're writing it down or committing it to memory or whatever it is. And they're going through this and they're kind of like, and then they like kind of stop for a moment and then reflect back over what they're just saying and be like, like, wow, what a day that'll be when this all comes to pass, when when the, the Messiah comes. Man, what 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 an amazing time. You know, I've thought that sometimes with, with some of the writings of David that are more prophetic in nature. You must just be thinking like it's like I'm looking forward to something. You know, it's, it's just like mm. people who are working their whole life and they're looking forward to, say, retirement. You know, it's like, man, what a day that's going to be when I retire. But this even even more so, and in most cases, out of the realm of even their own life. Like, it'll be way after them. But it's like to say, like, wow, like that, what what a day that's going to be when the Lord comes in power like that. And and I don't know. I don't know what they experienced, but it just, it just kind of... I'm just guessing they probably just sat back and reflected on it and just was like, just reflected on the awesomeness of it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah you're, so, so you were just reading, sorry, uh, you were just reading uh, Micah 5 2, but if we go to Matthew 2 5, this is what it reads, right? I'll start in 4 actually. And when he had gathered all of the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. <clears throat> so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet. Mm. You know, so that, that yep. so in Matthew we're seeing him call back to Micah. Right. To, so that's I don't know, it's just to me it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Another another famous line, if you will, falls in uh, chapter six, verse eight. But prior to that, it's part of a 
a question and, and answer. The, mm. Micah starts out, I'm not going to read all of chapter 6, the start of it, where it says, listen to what this, again, listen to what the Lord is saying. I pointed it out before. And, and the Lord gives his case against Israel. Mm. You get down to verse 6, and after the Lord says, hey, I did all of this for you to teach you about my faithfulness, the people say, what can we bring to the Lord? And I think they're asking the wrong question or giving the wrong answer because should we bring in burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? All of these questions are wrong. God's not looking for that. He wants their money. <laughs> you mean he wants cash, Ben? Is that it? Okay, cash he only. Wants a seat offering. In, 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 in God we trust, all others pay cash. Is that it? But, well, well, we're, we're, they're asking the wrong question, and we do that ourselves. And what is God looking for? He's looking for. Re He's looking for repentance in verse eight, which is one of the most popular. Now I'm at it. No, O oh people. No, O oh people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. How simple. Mm. To do what is right, mm. to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh-oh, we got to get rid of our pride. <laughs> to walk humbly with God. You know what the problem Boom. with that is? That it's too simple. Hmm. It's too, too simple. simple. It's simple, it's simple it, but it's not easy. My, my translation right. doesn't say right. simple, right. but not yeah. easy. If you look, yeah. we look back again. Remember the questions that I just read that uh, that the people ask, and you say, "Oh, we're going to burnt offerings. We're going to give you oil by the riverful. We're going to give you rams, thousands. We're going to sacrifice our firstborn children." Mm. No, no, I don't want that. I don't require that. Here it is in a nutshell. Are we doing that? Can we do this? It, it's simple, but as Judah said not easy mm. <laughs> because it's so hard to divest ourselves of our pride and to walk humbly to to love mercy to show it to people all the time and to do what is right all the time mm. not just when no one is looking it's almost like they want to like uh someone is looking multiply what the, the, the type of sacrifices they were already doing and what they were already being taught by the religious leaders of that time. Exactly. They're just like, okay, well, we've been doing this, and we thought that we were living a holy life. Well, do this a hundred times more? I'm going to do a cross-reference, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Mm. Okay, so can we say simple and easy, Judah, on that one? Or is it simple and not easy it's, to love our neighbor, to love God? Yeah, I mean, it's still not easy. I mean, I mean, just take this, this line here, right? I mean, you know, it says, you know, this is what he requires to, to walk justly, do do justice, walk, uh, or love mercy. The question, do we love mercy? Heck like, no. really? I mean... I mean, like, here's the thing. If you're speeding and you get pulled over and the cop comes up and he's like, I should find you, but I'm not going to. Do we love mercy? Then we do. Right, we do love mercy then. But do we love mercy? Like, we just got done studying Jonah, right? Like, he didn't love mercy. No. He didn't love God's Someone mercy. Someone does you wrong. Yeah, you don't right. want mercy it's, it's like, you don't want mercy. You want justice. And, and 
and and that's that's not even mercy that's within our power, right? That's mercy that's within God's power that He's extending to other people. But do we love mercy enough that we appreciate mercy in every context? And yeah. do we love mercy enough to extend it to others who don't deserve it? So I'll extend mercy to people that, that do deserve it, but not to those that don't deserve it. Well, who deserves mercy? Then we're not extending mercy to anybody because just by nature of the word mercy means that we're extending it to people that that have done wrong, right? Right. I mean, I mean, the, the idea of, of mercy is not grace, right? Like grace is giving somebody riches that they don't deserve, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're, I'm blessing you with something that you don't deserve, but mercy is withholding punishment from someone who does deserve it, right? Mm. Right. So it's like none of us deserve mercy. We all deserve punishment. But here it says. Here's what the Lord requires, that you love mercy. And, you know, it's like, do we do we love mercy? Do we love mercy? Do we have these these thoughts, you know, when, when the guy comes, you know, whipping by us on, on the uh, the interstate and, and they get in a car accident a mile ahead, we drive like, oh, well, look, you had it coming. You were driving like an idiot and not, you know, it's like, I've had thoughts like that before, mm. right? And it's like... It's like that, that's not. Or I loving. hope that guy gets pulled over. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Judah must be on the road a lot and running a lot. Of his, he uses that analogy a lot about know. you know giving the finger or something. Like that. But, uh, but but Jesus. Just for the record, I've never flipped anybody off. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but I've been tempted to. <laughs> we we have Jesus giving us an example of that. I as you're talking about that, Judah, I'm thinking of mercy when the master forgives one of his servants that begs him, please forgive my debt because he, he was going to throw him in jail. Yep. And the master forgives that servant, but that servant had a debtor to him mm-hmm. that he didn't forgive and he had him thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. He didn't show him mercy, though he asked for it and liked it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of that story it's as you're talking. Mm. So yeah. I, I wanted to bring this up because we were just on Micah uh, chapter 6, verse 8, which is a very, very famous quote, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, he has shown you, oh man, and this is the New King James Version, by the way, mm-hmm. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that mercy and justice are attached, so to speak. They're, they're in tandem. Do we love justice? That We just asked the question, do we love mercy, right? So good example is if someone steals your car, you want justice. You want your car back, right? You want reparations for any damage to that vehicle, right? You want the wrong righted, and that's what justice is, right? But if we do something wrong, do we want to be brought to justice, right? And who is Micah, if not a social justice warrior? And that term, social justice warrior, has a negative connotation. Like, we usually mock people that are, you know, beating the drums of, oh, this is unfair, and we're just like, oh, too bad, get over it, that's life, right? But this is God's social justice warrior here. Mm. He's out here, and he's talking about what everyone's doing wrong, and what's unbiblical, and what's ungodly. So when it says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to deal out justice, mm. It's the same thing. We don't want justice when we're doing something wrong. We don't want to be brought forth to a judge or justice. But yet we want justice when we've been wrong. So how, how do we quantify that in regards to and to love mercy? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. We don't want to give out mercy when we feel wronged. Right? And when we do wrong, we don't want to be brought to justice. Mm. And yet we all want justice for ourselves. We all want mercy for ourselves. So how do we balance that out in our lives? Mm. We have to give out mercy to those who don't deserve it. Because God has shown us mercy. And how do, you, how do you do justice? How do you do justly? What does that even mean to us as Christians? What does it mean to us as people? How do you administer justice? You try to right the wrongs. Yeah. We see that in court cases. I follow most court cases, especially the serious ones. You read the transcripts. You read the newspaper. And, and 
certainly a the victims are crying out for justice and and the person the perpetrators are you know their attorneys are looking for mercy and they ask the judge for that and then a lot of times it'll say you know just say did you show mercy when you murdered this person who did that there and it's you know i'm torn a lot between that uh, when i look and i say okay do I want that person to have mercy, or should he have should he have justice for what he did? And it, it, that that's a very well. That's what that, that's what that's what's happening here. Yeah, this is what's yeah. happening here. The word of the Lord is this. Yeah. So not just walk humbly and strip yourself of your pride, but get some mercy and also maintain justice while keep. What is that? That's what I'm saying. The balance of those two. Well, th let me go back to Judas' phrase. Simple. But not easy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, even from from my viewpoint, I'm not, for for me, sim simple but not easy. Well, some the the mercy that we've been kind of talking about is you know something that can be justified. If we do something, you know, we don't want to be brought justice to our you know ourselves. But when some somebody does something, then we're like, all right, they should receive some justice, right? Um, well, the type of mercy that I've recently been able to uh, experience with my wife is you know she was pregnant. And uh, we wanted her to go f full term, and obviously she ended up having a miscarriage, which we're still heartbroken about. But God was all over us. He saturated his presence all over like, Kirsten's mind, my mind. And when we went to the third appointment, and that was the appointment where we wanted to hear uh, the heartbeat. We wanted to make sure that it was a viable pregnancy. If there was no heartbeat, then it wasn't a viable pregnancy. Kirsten had prayed that God, if this is your will, let it be done. But God, I don't want to suffer through this. Like if, if it's gonna be good, if it's gonna be a viable practice, then God, let me hear the heart. And if it's not, then I know that you are merciful. And, and then that day, you know, the doctor asked her, you know, so it's not a viable pregnancy, what would you like to do? Would you like to, you know, have this medication to let it, or you wanna like, let it take its course? And she had ordered the, the medication and we didn't even pick it up. It was within about maybe six to eight hours that her body started to, uh, you know, go through the process of having the miscarriage. And she was in immense amounts of pain, but what she came to terms with is, wow, God is so merciful. Mm. Because, you know, we were talking about science earlier, right? And, and Judah, it was you who told me like, isn't it interesting that so many doctors have de delivered so many babies, but yet every single pregnancy is different. Right. Mm. And she, for uh, and for us mm. and for us, we were like, well, obviously, we're we're hopeful. We, we want things to go to full term. But what if she went six months? What if she went eight months and delivered a, a, a dead baby? Mm. You know, there are a lot of moms out there that go through similar things. It's very common. Mm. But God was merciful with Kirsten. And that same night, that same day we had the appointment that it was a miscarriage and it was confirmed she started going through the process. And although I saw my wife go through pain, go through anguish, uh, mental, you know, spiritual pain, all that stuff, to hear her say God is so merciful had me stunned. Mm. I, I honestly had no word to say, but to experience the presence of God with her mm. in that light yeah. when it comes to mercy. Yeah. So mercy, it comes at different angles. Mercy is not just like, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, it's not always just good things. It's not always just good things, right? Right. But God can receive the glory through, like you said, mercy is through different situations. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that, and that, and that's good. I mean, it's like God, God is merciful to us. We don't we don't know the the heartache that could have been caused. You know, had things yeah. gone. I mean, it's like again, you know, I don't th know. Th this is 
this is beyond our, our minds of, of comprehension, you know. It, it, um, it's kind of the band-aid thing. Do you want it to peel off quickly mm. or peel it off slow? If peel yeah. it off quick, it's going to hurt either way. Right. So it's... Yeah. Well, you know, when, when we talk about justice, um, I, I can't think about justice without thinking about uh, Gary Haugen and uh, IJM, International Justice Mission, you know. Mm. Uh, one of the... The books that Dave and I think probably first connected over was mm. this book, Locust Effect. And um, just a powerful book in general. Uh, anybody that ever wants to, to be involved with any kind of missions work, really, I think it's a, it's a must read because it I'll just. I'll borrow that book from one of you guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it I'll just. I'll see if I have it, John. Yeah, it's a wonderful I have, book. I yeah. think I have a couple copies. Um, it, it's, But basically, what he comes down to is he's like every world problem that we have in third world countries and whatever it all comes down to a lack of justice it doesn't come down to a lack of food it doesn't come down to unclean water mm. it doesn't come down to any other of these things that you may think are the problem and and i've been on missionary trips and dave's been on missionary trips and, and we kind of collaborated a little bit saying like okay you know it's like oh you, you're going there but but what about this underlying thing and it's like we're like you know what Never even thought no. that mm. justice had its root there. You know, it, it's like, for example, and you know, I mean, just give give some hypotheticals. You you uh, you you go and you you buy a cow for a family in need and somewhere in an African country, right? And you're like, wow, this is going to be great because now they have a cow and they can now milk the cow and the cow can provide uh, for their family and whatnot. And, and we feel like we've just done a good thing, right? Because we've mm. provided substance for this family, and we don't know about the gang who was leaving them alone mm-hmm. because they had nothing, but now that they have something, now they're making them give them 75% of whatever now they get, and they're terrorizing their family, and they're, they're doing all these horrible things. Or, or these places that go in and they, they, uh, the, the area doesn't have clean you know, sanitation, so they put a bathhouse in the center of the community. Right. And they're like, wow, we've just provided this. And what happens at those bathhouses? You know, Girls are coming there in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and they're getting raped by predators just, who are waiting I, around there. You I, know? I was just yeah. thinking of the the one story: the young girl in there that got raped by that guy, and, and they just you know they just swept it under the carpet. Nothing right. happened. She, it was just so poignant the way he told it, and uh, and these are these are true. This is a, this goes on now, and as Judah said, thinking about the trips that both of him and I have been on, um, missionary trips in different countries. Not even thinking about that, just thinking about, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, I, I, I did, I actually did some of these things. You know, okay, a village needed water, small village. I paid for them to get water. I'm thinking I do this, but I'm not even thinking of the ramifications, you know, of, you know, what happens in these villages. It's a resource, you know, yeah. who, who comes and steals it from them, yeah, who holds it hostage, know, yeah. holds, it, holds yeah. them hostage. And this book, uh, Judah, say the name of it again for anybody. Uh, Locust Effect. Locust Effect. um, If anybody has listened to our our study, uh, I I would highly recommend it. I know Judah would too. It's a wonderful read, and it will open your eyes to some of the things that are going on in the world. Yeah, because here's the thing. It's like he said that before you solve these other problems, first you have to be able to solve the justice Justice. issue. Because in many cases, like in these cases of of slave owners in India, right? There's some slave owners, they have slaves, but they don't have the stomach for disciplining their slaves. In other words, beating their slaves into submission. 
So you know what they do? They call the cops over to do it for them. So the cops come. So now if the cops are working for the slave owners, who do you go to? There's no justice. There's no justice. So, so, what, so what IGM does, and not, and not to just promote a, an organization, but I love what IGM does, is that they go in and oftentimes what they have to do is formulate, help to formulate laws, help to formulate a legal process. Structure, yeah. And then they get these people and they bring them to justice. But I mean, IGM, I think it was like three years ago, they had... Um, several of their uh, their agents there that were uh, that were murdered in the middle of this because I mean they, they get entrenched and they're setting they're setting set um, you know uh, uh, girls who are in sex uh, slavery they're setting them free they're going into mm-hmm. these brick factories and factories, setting people yeah. free I mean I mean hundreds of people not like and, and then he even talks again because like there's some people that say oh you know I'm gonna go there I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a, buy a girl. And then I'm going to set her free. There's organizations that do that. They go in under the underground. They do all the research undercover so they can buy this girl who would be sold into sex slavery. And they take her and they set her free. And he's like, are you even thinking what you're doing? So do you know what you're doing? You're putting money into the organization. Mm. So what are they going to do? They're going to take that money and they're going to go kidnap three more girls and sell them. He says, we don't do that way. He says, we don't play nice with bad guys. Yeah. We go in and we bring them to justice. justice. And so so that's like an organization that I think loves justice. Now, now the flip side is mercy. And I'll say one other kind of story if you've ever read any Bob Goff books. Um, amazing books. And one of, the, one of the, the, the big stories that kind of weaves its way through is this, this boy that he adopts. And he was brutally, um, I don't know, uh, disfigured, we'll say, uh, and in his body as a very young child to the point where he could not reproduce and you know just brutally brutally mm-hmm. hurt and um and so this guy you know Bob Goff ends up long story short ends up adopting him gets this guy brought to justice this witch doctor which is amazing that he was even able to bring this witch doctor to justice and then what does God call him to do is to go to the prison and start ministering to these witch witch doctors and ends up leading this guy to Christ ends up, you know, teaching them like real trick. And it's just like, that is a balance of justice (laughs) and and mercy. Not Mm. not easy. Simple, Mm. but not easy. Kirsten actually was, got me interested in Bob Goff. So I read uh, several of his books. Uh, We were talking one time and, and she had, thought because i had recommended a couple books she's open you would like bob goff and i started with what love does yeah yeah very very good writer too easy easy reading yeah i did want to bring up that micah was um around the same time as isaiah right and yes. that they were contemporaries right and if you look i'm i have a um a new king james version bible in front of me and it gives you the little notes of like where scripture uh correlates in other places and you see all throughout the book of micah you see um, little notes for Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have here in Isaiah, it's Isaiah um, chapter 1, verse 17, where he's talking about justice and how it needs to be done, which is also one of the things we're talking about here. And I'll read from the NASB 1995 version. Is there a chance, Lur- to, is there a chance they knew each other? So no, because Micah is like a poor person that doesn't even, in the introduction, he doesn't talk about he's the son of anybody. Mm. He's like a nobody, like okay. country bumpkin. And he's from like uh, Moresheth of Gath, which is, if you know where David slew Goliath, that's yeah. in the Valley of Elah, okay. which is two ridges that have a, like a stream running through the center of them, 
where the Israelites and the Philistines camped on either side because whichever army would have had to cross the valley would have been at a severe disadvantage. So there was a standoff there. I think it was something like 40 days or something like that where they didn't engage in battle before the Philistine giant came out. But that's not the point. The point is this. In the NASB 1995 version, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 reads, Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Meaning... Be the voice of the voiceless, be it martyrs, right? Be it victims of human trafficking or sex trafficking or slavery or whatever it is. When we see injustice and their voices can't be heard, as believers, we're called to step up and be the mouthpiece. Because if they won't listen to them because they're a slave, because they're a victim, because they're broken, then we can, we can definitely step up and do something. So we're called to... To be their advocate. Yeah. So he has shown you, oh man, what is good, right? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mm. So powerful. It really is. And like you said, what is his name? Bob Gath or whatever? Bob Goff. 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 Yeah, I've heard that story from many different believers. Mm. And I love that story because like you said, not only does he save this kid who's been permanently disfigured from abuse from a witch doctor, but then again, he goes and evangelizes the guy, makes a believer out of him. And from what I understand, that witch doctor in prison Mm. started to... Be yeah. an evangelist they start, they started, and teaching the and gospel. Start a school. Yeah, for prison which, ministry. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How to get people out of, you know. In, in a way Bible. that that Bob Goff wouldn't have preached to all those prisoners. Like, Bob Goff, like, he can't reach the people that that witch doctor could. Full time right. in prison. Yeah. Full time yeah. in prison. Yeah. So he was able to equip him. And now, in so many ways that many of us wouldn't be able to reach to the people that maybe come and get tattooed. Exactly. Or yeah. some people that you meet, meet in like in the in your business, right? Like there's certain people that we wouldn't be able to talk to. Yeah. So God uses every single person for what? Mm. To glorify him His that are called to according to his purpose. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. But we want to, you know, take away people from doing like such such works, you know. Um, and, and then on, on a personal level, do we act justly? Right. Right. Have no. mercy on us all. No. I'm laughing. No. You know what I mean? Lord have mercy it, it, on it's us like, all. Do, do, we, do we act justly when um, we're dealing in business or in life or favors or this or that or whatever? And I mean, it's just like, are we, are we acting in a way that would be considered just, right? Or, or are we acting in a way that would be considered self-serving? Well, without generalizing, an answer would be when it's convenient. Yeah. How many times I, like you, went, you go to the store and maybe they give you the wrong change yeah. or they didn't charge you for something and you walk out and you think, Walmart's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Just give it back. It, you know, what would we do? Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, that's a rhetorical question, but if, you, if it was a if it was $1,000 or $10,000 mistake versus a dollar mistake, mm. do we do we do, do we do justice as a matter of convenience? Do we do we do mercy as a matter of convenience or do we do it all the time? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I, so I have a, a, a cheap pair of sunglasses. Um, I was with Kirsten at a TJ Maxx, and uh, we didn't grab a cart. I wanted to buy her some sunglasses. They were 10 bucks. I put them in my hoodie pocket. I got home. I forgot about it. They even had the uh, security alarm on it. Mm. She's like, Lenny, I'm not putting those on. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Like, we'll just, I'm, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And she's like, well, you're going to correct that mistake. That's right. You're going to call them. And you're going to try to pay for it over the phone. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. She's like, Lenny, you, you better do it. Right now. The next day, I called. Uh, wh- what does that do for our witness when we go back and say, you know what? Um, I just didn't feel right about this. And they're like, wh- why would you do that? No like, Hey, you know what? 
Like, don't, don't waste those opportunities. You know, I, I follow Jesus, and Scripture says that we need to act justly, and um, mm-hmm. I just, I can't walk out in good conscience knowing that, that I uh, took this without paying for it. Yeah, I mean, my wife showed me mercy, so I went back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. My wife made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> You always say the devil made me do it. In my, yeah. Yeah, in, yeah. My, in my single days, I might have just kept the glasses with the sticker on them. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, one of the challenges that I face sometimes is like, okay, so, you know, I'm one of the pastors at Thrive, and if I'm not leading by example, like, I'm going to be, like, held accountable to that, right? One day, God is going to be like, you led my sheep in this direction. Yeah. And that, as, that's, that, that scares me. So, like, I need to make sure that I'm living this out. I need to make sure that I'm holding God's word, taking, like, a stronghold to it and, and, and walking in obedience. Because there's always someone paying attention. Like you said, use those opportunities to be able to share the gospel. Well, if like, it's don't any, let it go to waste. Yeah, and if there's any consolation or company, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I'll speak for myself. I feel the same way, Lenny. And I'm not a minister, although Jesus said we're all ministers. But yeah. you folks do that for an occupation that is your calling but I think of it I'm out in the public a lot not only my business but a lot of things that I've done Mm -hmm. organizations that I belong to and I'm always thinking of that too and I'm saying all right is this the right thing to do am I doing the right thing all the time because I feel the same way God is always and I've said this to you guys before you know I can feel it more at certain times always talking to me when I'm ready to make a decision and it might not be the total right one. He says, is that really what you want to do? Mm-hmm. It means I feel the same way as you, Lenny, and probably everybody else in here about, okay, you know, I'm, I'm pastoring, pastoring people too, in a sense, yeah. because I'm out there. All of us are, and no matter what we're doing, we're doing, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're pastoring. Jesus said that go out and take care of it because he knew that, he couldn't do it alone, and the apostles couldn't do it alone. We all have to do that. Mm. So we should feel that way. We should have that angel on our on our left shoulder, right shoulder, <laughs> saying, you sure you want to do that? You mm. sure you want to do it this way? Or God guiding us. I call it the Holy Spirit guiding me, and I ask for that guidance every morning before I start my day. Well, mm. we just finished um, a series at Thrive Church, right, which was restoration, right? Mm. And you said, what is... What does God specialize in? Restoration. Mm. What did what did God do? He raised Jesus from the dead. He restored him, right? Right. And it's what do we see here in this this Micah verse? We see restoration for the case of the orphan or the widow, like in Isaiah. Right. Or in the case of, you know, what you were talking about with the um, that ministry. Yeah. Over, overseas is that's what that's what they're doing. They're restoring the brokenness. Right. So God calls us if we're gonna follow Jesus. Jesus is the king of restoration. Right. He's the, he's the king of resurrection, right? Yep. So if we're really following him, we need to be restoring everywhere we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want to mention something, excuse me, on ministering in different ways. You know, we can do that. And we do mention a lot of books in here and another book, and I have to attribute this to Judah had given me. And I've mentioned this before. The book is called God and Money. It's by two Harvard graduates. I just bought another hard cover copy because I was telling a friend of mine and you all know him because most of you know him because he's uh, sat in in the past here Mark Doré and he's had situations in his life and he's coming along and he's starting to earn more money his business is starting to thrive and to flourish 
and uh, we were talking about money and how much you need. And, and I, I said, there's this great book that Jude had recommended to me. I ordered a copy and I got it in just before on a vacation. I gave it to him and he, he was telling me when I got back, he called me in. He said he started to read. He says, yeah, he goes, I know where this is going. He goes, <laughs> I said, finish it. And I said, yeah. and we'll talk about it. But I just want to say, yeah. ministering, you can do it in so many different ways because right. that book... Uh, I, I thought I was generous, and I and I, I you know as I as I earned more, I I tried to give more. But when Judah said, you know, I had some quandary in my mind, I think it was, and I I was talking to Judah about it, and you know what to do, you know how much money do you really need, and and wh- you know, where do you stop? And uh, Judah said, read this book, read that book, and definitely took me to a different level. Mm. So I would recommend that to people too, but more my point was ministering. I recommend it and bought it for somebody that I thought could use it mm. uh, to give some direction to that particular person. It's funny you say that. I just spent like, uh, you know, over a hundred bucks buying some um, missionary books for mm. our brother uh, Diamond Dave, who's going to Brazil, yeah. overlanding mm. into the jungle to places that they've never heard the gospel. Mm. So I'm just like, anything I can do to help you know, uh, him with his sanctification and his theology and, you know, copy, you know, Paul, who mm. Paul didn't have a missions home base, did he? Mm. He didn't, no, really. right? Yeah, so he did. He, he just went from town to town, established well, elders, and then and then moved on, right? Yeah. And then he would write letters and check on them. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. as, so the, like, as the song goes, wherever he laid his hat was his home. Yeah, yeah. right? And um, so the other thing that I wanted to say, too, is now the new series we're doing this uh, we just started in, in Thrive is talking about sin, mm. right? Just this past Sunday was sin, and what, what what is sin in our lives? Sin is something that breaks or damages our relationships to things, yeah. Yeah. to God, to friends, to family, to whoever it may be, right? Mm. So I just want to bring that up because you know the previous series was on restoration. Mm. Sin and restoration go hand in hand as right. Bible believing Christians, right? Yeah. right? As people that trust in Jesus, because again. It's the it, when, when when we sin. Not only are we being disobedient and offending God and hurting our relationship to God, but we're hurting those around us. So how how is it possible for us to um, do what is good here and what the Lord requires of us, which is to minister justice mm-hmm. or do justice justly, and to love mercy? Mm-hmm. You can't if you're if you're yeah. sinning. Right. And that well, goes back to sanctification, right? Our walk with God, which is the will of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. That, our, that we be sanctified yeah. through Jesus. Yeah. Look, look, talking, it's, it's bringing us back to the Book of Micah, and not that we stray too far from it. As we were on that one verse, but you just mentioned sinning, and if we look at verse, uh, chapter one, verse nine, I'd highlighted that for my people's wound is too deep to heal. That's right. It has reached into Judah, even to the gates of Jerusalem. Now, it, you know the Syrians, as I said before, got to the gates of Jerusalem, though they were defeated. That verse says to me is that the nature of sin is that it spreads. It spreads like a disease. It got right to the gates of Jerusalem. Mm. That's one. All right. Then, that's uh, for anybody. That's verse uh, chapter one, verse nine. All right. Wound too deep to heal. It's like a cancer. Mm. Then you get to chapter one again, verse sixteen. My book says, "O people of Judah, shave your heads in sorrow." That was a tradition that they had when they were. When they sin. For the children you loved will be snatched away. Make yourselves as bald as a vulture, for your little ones will be exiled to distant lands. So, again, what does sin do? Mm. It, it causes the children to suffer from their parents' offenses. Mm. This is how sin spreads and how disgusting it is. Mm. Okay. What, what verse was that you just read in Micah with the, where it says that the, the wound was like incurable? 
That's that's nine. Verse nine. Chapter one, verse nine. Okay. So in Jeremiah thirty, this is what the Lord says: Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. Hmm. Now this is very, very, very profound because what is what does God offer us? He says that our heart is uncurably sick, right? Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's deceitful. It's wicked above all things. So yeah. what does he say? He says, I'll take from you your heart of stone, mm-hmm. your incurable heart. It can't be cured. He's right. telling you it can't be cured. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead, what does he have to do? He replaces it with a new one, that mm-hmm. restoration we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He takes away your diseased, sinful, wicked, desperately wicked, incurably wicked heart, your, your, your infected heart, and he gives you a brand new one mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's too far gone. Yeah. And what, is that, what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? If you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you just became a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And you're made a new creation and the old things are dead and gone. Your old heart is dead and gone. And you're made that new creation. You're given that new heart that loves mercy, that loves justice, that is following after Christ. And you may stumble and fall. Yeah. But you're still made right. Your sins have still been atoned for. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, it's mm-hmm. it's captured poignantly by Shakespeare and uh, and Macbeth, <laughs> right? And in Macbeth, she's scrubbing her hands to rid herself of an imaginary spot of blood, and says, you know, out damned spot, and that's like this kind of poignant spot where she's trying, or poignant part of this play where she's trying to remove herself. From the guilt that she feels, but yet she can't remove it, mm. and that and that is the human condition, right? That is it. We're all saying out, damn spot, but I can't do it. I, I I try to do good things and I try to be nice to people, and 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 anytime I take one step forward, I end up doing all these other bad things in the wake, and it's mm. like not only am I not getting rid of the spot, I'm actually making the spot worse. Yeah, and and we find ourselves. In this predicament, like you said, Johnny, where where we've done irreparable damage, it's like it cannot be repaired. It's like our heart is deceitful, our heart is wicked, our heart is full of sin. We, it cannot be repaired without the blood of Jesus. You're referring to Lady Macbeth, but like Lady Macbeth, who wanted that spot to be washed out, and she couldn't do that, you know, based on the, the mur- murders that her husband had committed. Uh, it's the same thing that we read here a little while ago, offering burnt, you know, they wanted to offer burnt offerings or their mm. firstborn children. Lady Macbeth didn't have the right answer. She just wanted to wash it out. They thought they could do, uh, get to the top or get to where they needed to be doing the wrong things. Mm. They didn't have a God. They didn't turn to God as the Israelites here did not turn to God. Mm. You know, turn to burnt offerings, we'll give you our first one, we'll give you rivers of oil, and mm. so on. We have to think about that in terms of ourselves. What are we offering God? What, what does God want? Again, it goes back to that verse here, mm. that famous verse. What does God want? Does he want all that? He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to try to wash that out ourselves because we're not going to be able to do that. Mm. We, we need to get restored by, as Johnny said, to become a Christian, to accepting Jesus Christ and becoming a Christian. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and unplug here. Uh, I think let's let's stay in here at least one more week. Uh, I think there's still some some good stuff that we haven't dug into, but I think this is a good good conversation. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff you know comes out of that, and and that that verse is just one that is always stuck with me. And anyone I think would be would do themselves a service to memorize it. 
you know, what does the Lord require to do mm -hmm. justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our Lord? I mean, that's just a great kind of guiding principle as we live lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So anyhow, until next time, let's wrap it up. We'll continue next week as our, uh, with our discussion of Micah. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.